Right, we're now very pleased to be joined in the pod by rock photographer Paul Slattery. Welcome to the pod, Paul. Good evening, Steve. Good evening to you. And over the next few episodes, Paul will be talking about his career as one of the UK's most respected rock photographers. And today we'll be concentrating on the Paul Slattery early years. So, Paul, uh, tell us, what first got you into rock photography? Were you studying normal photography first and then the music came later or how did it how did you well get the music into the, rock the music definitely came first because i was a from the age of six i had a great next door neighbor called joe who was a who was a teddy boy who listened to elvis presley and uh, i remember listening to heartbreak hotel in his house next door when i was six so mm. i think from then on i i was a rock and roll fan and um course you know I was lucky enough to be a teenager in the 60s and uh, well what nearer that was and you, mm. you know, I, it was just fantastic because you you just couldn't fail every week to have a couple of great tracks yeah. come out so you're um, a music fan for the music came uh, first then you got into the photography. absolutely the photography I've got into I ended up going over to the States and um, in the early 70s and uh, I was travelling around to the East Coast and ended up working on a fishing boat where I met a guy called Bill Crockett who had an SLR camera. Hmm. And uh, one day, on a day off the boat, he showed me how his camera worked. And suddenly I saw the world through this uh, viewfinder. And uh, I was hooked, quite honestly. And then uh, later on, of course, I went to college and... um, I became part of the college uh, photo club and took mm-hmm. pictures for the college magazine and then started to do my first shots of rock bands at, at college, at North London Poly, oh. uh, back in the mid-70s. In fact, the first, the f- one of the first bands I shot at college was uh, Dr Feelgood back in early 75. Great. And were you photographing them as a... Uh, as an assignment, or was it just as a fan? Well, just basically, it was something to put in the college magazine. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, so it was. I, I was just enjoying photographing everything at college, from from demos, trips out with the geography society, <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, backstage with uh, Dr. Feelgood. Mm. You know, couldn't be bad. And Dr. Feelgood were amazing. I thought this is resurrected rock and roll. Mm. How can we? How can it get any better? Mm. And what Dr. Feelgood track have you chosen to to summon them up? Well, for me, she does it right.
and that was a great uh, She Does It Right by Dr. Feelgood from their Down By The Jetty album. And I mean, even listening to that now, I mean, I, I, I was a bit too young, if you, sorry Paul, <laughs> <laughs> to have seen Dr. Feelgood in their prime and I, I, I'm trying to imagine what it must have been like to see a band like that. At that well I just couldn't time. believe it, I, I just couldn't believe it, I mean this is one of the first bands, I'm down the front of the stage at North Island Poly and this is the Naughty Rhythms tour, February 75 and uh, here's this band that everybody's hearing about, setting the world on fire and this guy Wilco is just stalking across the stage mm. playing this staccato guitar, it's just mm. I mean, I had hairs on the back of my head, you know, it's just unbelievable. Lee Brillo banging into the mic with that gravelly voice. Mm. It just, everything was right. Everything mm. was right on that night. And yeah. it was just fantastic. I mean, if this wasn't um, begins, be, the beginnings of punk, what was? Well, I mean, that's right, because they, they were, uh, a lot of the New York CBGB's bands took... Dr. Feelgood, weren't they? And they were influenced by Dr. Feelgood, you know, all the, the sort of Ramones. Talking Heads. Talking Heads. Richard Hell. Richard, they all had that Dr. Feelgood album, you know, and, I, and again, another band that, you know, predated punk, say like the Saints and Radio Birdman in Australia, but they, they, they predated punk, but probably were more punk than any, any of the sort of famous punk rock bands you can Well, the interesting of. thing was going down mm. to see Wilco at the Half Moon Putney last year, he's mm. still got the charisma even now mm. and he still plays that guitar yeah just the same and he's mm. the way he walks across the stage is even more fantastic than ever yeah you can't beat that yeah, that's true for great performance yeah, and yeah. the feel goods of their time were, were, were superb and of course a great band to photograph as yeah. wilco is even today great yeah. uh, a great guitarist to photograph that's true and talking of great guitarists, uh, a theme I've noticed through your photography is you you like your guitarists. <laughs> you know, you, you concentrate as much on the guitarist as you do on the on on, on the vocalist. And a good example now, although he probably not known as a vocalist, but certainly as a guitarist, is is your next choice, which is Link Ray. This is Link at his rawest, riffigy best. This is the Ace of Space.
Well, that was Link Ray and Ace of Spades, which probably is a good example of his of his work, isn't it? it? Sort of sums up everything that's there. You know, the surf guitar, the power chords, the shuffling rhythm. The, it, it's just a great track. The heavy know, riffage. The heavy riffage. <laughs> you know. So, how did you get to photograph Link Ray? You know, well, I I'd got into Link Ray through his first album on Polydor Records, which came out in '71. It was it's a picture of him on the front cover. Uh, wearing this uh, headband looking like an Indian, and he was actually an Indian. He was a Shawnee, oh, really? part, part Shawnee Indian from uh, from Maryland. And um, I bought that record, which is, it, he recorded in his old um, shack in Maryland, and it's mm. very kind of spiritual, but you can feel that old um, rock and roll guitar coming through. Mm. But then in 72, I was in the old Virgin shop in Notting Hill Gate, and I bought this... Um, compilation of uh, Link Ray's early stuff and I was just blown away mm. in hearing Ace of Spades, I'm Branded, all those great guitar mm. records just blew me away and mm. I just couldn't wait to see, I could not wait to see Link Ray play live and in my first year at college I got to see him play at the Lyceum in 1975, oh, June 1975. Mm. I couldn't believe it. I was down the front, managed to blag my way down the front, was mm. just an amateur photographer. And there I was at the front of the stage photographing a Link Ray. It was just amazing. I mean, it's a lot easier, of course, to get access back in those days. Mm. So that, at that time, you were still just a fan. You weren't there as an assignment. You weren't working for a music magazine or anything you were just there as a fan taking pictures of a, of a great rock and roll star absolutely oh. absolutely just went down there for my own my own fun mm. to get some pictures of my guitar hero and, and he was a guitar hero i mean your photos of him then with all his black leather and his guitar over his he was a rock and roll guitar hero wasn't he really you know absolutely. He, he looked the part and so he was part indian he, he had this you know he was the guitar poses that we that, you know, become sort of very common, but at the time must have been quite, again, quite unusual. Well, he looked the part and he played mm. the part. And later on, I was lucky enough to meet Link and talk mm. to him about his early life and uh, mm. talk to him about punk as well. And uh, he, he, he loved punk. Yeah. He said, well, it's just rock and roll. A little <laughs> bit faster, but it's still rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And what's your next choice, Paul? Well, my next choice is, uh, it's got to be the Flaming Groovies. Mm -hmm. because this is another band I listened to in the early 70s who kind of faded away and ended up coming to the UK and being recorded by Dave Edmonds at Rockfield. Oh, okay. And this is one of those recordings. This is uh, Second Cousin. <laughs> Cousin, I'm gonna make my second cousin my first bride. 
she's my second cousin of a two Second cousin. So, Paul, where did you first see and photograph the Flaming Groovies, and what got you into those? Wow, that was a fantastic track. Good wasn't song, it? yeah. Really, still good. sounds really fresh now, doesn't it? Well, I got into the Groovies in the seventies, and I got a couple of their records, Sneakers and Super Snares, uh, which recorded in the early seventies, and then. Later on, I found a few recordings of them that uh, they made with Dave Edmonds up at uh, Rockfield Studios up in mm. Wales. Dave was from up in Monmouth himself. And then I was backstage at the legendary Ramones gig on New Year's Eve. At, oh, yeah. yeah. At, at the Rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And who should I meet but Cyril Jordan? Mm -hmm. So I couldn't believe it. And and Cyril, was, Cyril was a uh, guitarist in Flaming Groovies. Okay. So I met Cyril and Cyril said, why don't you come down to Rockfield tomorrow on New Year's Day? So I went down to Rockfield and met the Flaming Groovies and Dave Edmonds. So this was your first, first case of a band actually asking you to go and take some pictures <laughs> yeah, of them. It was yeah. amazing. It was, it, was, it was great. Well, we went down to Rockfield Studios and I met the Flaming Groovies and we spent actually most of the day in the mm -hmm. pub with Dave Edmonds talking about music. Didn't do many <laughs> photos at all, actually. <laughs> all right, so but, this, this was the, the famous New Year's Eve gig at the, the Rainbow, then. That's right. The so, which we'll talk about in our next episode about when we get into the punk side of your work. You know? But the Flaming Groovies, they, they, record, they, they were in Wales recording uh, a new album, which turned out to be the album Now, mm -hmm. in the... Uh, uh, that was released on Sire Records, but they were a great band to photograph live. Yeah. And it's always great to photograph your heroes. Mm. And the Flaming Groovies were my heroes. So um, for me, it was it was a superb experience mm. seeing them play because they are a, they are a great live band. Mm. 
And, and it's nice that you had, this was your first experience of a band inviting you to spend time with them and photograph them sort of off stage in the studio. And did that give you a taste for sort of mixing with the bands and uh, hanging out with them and oh, getting yeah. to know them? Definitely. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. And the fact that it was happening, it was, it was answering all my questions, which were, you know, could I get on with uh, some of these guys who I thought were my mm. heroes? And uh, these heroes were turning out to be uh, really nice and interesting people. Right. And again, we were talking about how guitarists seem to capture your imagination. Uh, we were going on to your next choice from the pre-punk era, which you probably, again, he's a bit of an unsung hero, um, but extremely influential guitarist. Mick Green. Mick Green Mick of Green. the Pirates. One of the greatest guitarists ever, in my opinion. Just unbelievable guitarist. Watching him play was completely mind-blowing mm. because it looked... You, you couldn't see where the where the two guitars were coming from, but they were coming from just two hands. Mm. And I couldn't see, mm. you, you just couldn't see how Mick was getting the sounds out of this guitar. Mm. And the amp he was using was just made this wonderful sound. Just to see him was, mm. for me, uh, you know, a dream. Because mm. the Pirates were a great band. Mm. And that sort of guitar style was probably... That influenced Wilco Johnson, who Wilco came after Mick Green, and Wilco gets the credit for that sort of rhythm lead guitar, that chopping rhythm. But Mick Green was the originator, wasn't he? You know, and he doesn't get a lot of credit, and I think he deserves a bit of respect for that. You know? Well, I think we should listen to "I Can Tell." Right, here's a number that uh, a couple of years back, I think the Feel Good ripped it off from us. Here's our version of "I Can Tell." <laughs>
Yes, I can tell. Yes, I can tell. Well, I know you don't love back up. And that was a Pirates with a live version of I Can Tell. And Paul, I mean, again, this is pretty much all pre-punk stuff, isn't it? And you can sense the energy, the excitement um, that, that, you, that must have been bubbling under before punk. People seem to think that nine, the Sex Pistols was this year zero, but there was all this exciting guitar rock before punk. Well, the... The Pirates were playing well before punk. I mean, they were playing in the 60s. Yeah. And they got together in, uh, in the mid-70s again and started playing the odd gig together. But this gig is actually in 77, right at the height right of punk. Right punk. Yeah. And uh, this gig I went to, uh, which was about a month after this recording had taken place at the Nashville, was absolutely packed. It was mobbed. And seeing them play live in a small place was, really, was truly amazing. But later on, they played. I mean, they played. Uh, they played a lot of colleges. They were on the college circuit for years and years, and then they, they finally stopped playing. But they resurrected themselves in about two thousand and played mm. the first gig for years. I think for twelve years at the Grey Horse in Kingston. Oh yeah. And I went down there with my camera in this tiny little pub to take pictures of the pirates and just to take pictures there and being one meter away from the band how good can that be mm. and, and they were just beautiful mm. they were they were 15 years older but that's the great thing about rock and roll you just get yep. better as you get older you get on stage so how did you get to meet the pirates because uh, i tell you, you you work with them right up um, to the to the later recordings, didn't you as well? And, and well, I did. Really I mean, it, it was it was back. I went backstage at the uh, at the Grey Horse because I'd photographed them a few times in, as I said, in the seventies and early eighties, but never really spent any time with them. And then um, after the Grey Horse gig, I I got to know them a bit better and started hanging out at their gigs. And um, they had a little mini revival, and um, it was great to, to talk to Mick Green. And Frank Farley and, and and Johnny about their career, and they were just so enjoying being back together and doing mm. some gigs. Right. And, and and for me, it was just such joy taking photographs of uh, uh, of what was always a really great band, a great a band that I loved, and uh, a band that for me played the most fantastic rock and roll you could possibly ever hear. Mm. No, it's true. And I think um, what I've realised now is that you're a frustrated guitarist, Paul. <laughs> uh, that might well be the case, but the problem is, of course, being a photographer, you never have time to pick up a guitar. <laughs> Only an air guitar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. Well, thanks, Paul. And um, next episode, we'll be looking at your, you know, your adventures in punk and, and sort of starting work on your first music, your first music paper and looking at the sort of punk bands that you work with. Yeah.